Thank you, band. They'll be back later at the end of the service to, to lead us in the two or three other songs of worship. This morning, what we want to do is conclude our series that we've been looking at for the last several weeks on parenting. Uh, I had some more parenting experience this week. Um, last Sunday, I shared with you, and uh, I don't know if you're here last week, but last week, uh, we're in the process of uh, discovering if we were going to have a grandchild last week or not. They put our daughter in the hospital last Thursday, Thursday, a week ago. Uh, and she was five weeks uh, early and, and before having a baby, but she was having some issues. And so uh, last Sunday afternoon at about 3, approximately 3.45, 3.47, something like that, uh, according to who you talk to, um, uh, we had a grandchild. And so uh, Cooper uh, Jarrett Logan was born. Here's a picture. Up, oh, let's not go back. We'll go back one. Go back one. It's too quick. Can we go back? There it goes. Okay. There's, uh, there's mom and uh, Kara, our daughter, and Cooper. Uh, Cooper was four pounds, 10 ounces when he was born, 17 and a half inches long, so he's not a big fella, and, uh, but he's doing pretty well. Still in the hospital, probably be there for another week or two, uh, just normal pre- preemie things. And our daughter got out of the hospital on Friday, even though she is now spending most of her time there with Cooper. And so uh, that's what went on. So I thought you'd enjoy the pictures. You can go to the next picture if you want to. There's a better close-up. One more. Come on. Come on. There it goes. Okay, there's Cooper. Okay. And then the middle name, Jarrett, you're going like, where did you get that name? What's well, a family name? That's uh, Vicky's mother's maiden name. It's family or whatever, you know. So that's how they decided to do it. So uh, that's the deal. So that's, this weekend's been an interesting parenting time. Uh, as I was thinking about concluding this series, I, I was thinking about some things that I would like to tell my daughter as we talk more um, about the most important thing or the best thing you can do for your child. What can she do for Cooper, and what could I, would I tell you as we conclude this series? We've talked about a bunch of things in regard to the whole thing of what the Bible has to say about this whole area of parenting. And I thought about uh, a sermon that I did about two years ago. I did a series called I Don't Marriage, and it was about, uh, about the whole thing of marriage and the, the family and parenting. And one of the sermons in that series was called Kid CEO. And I thought back to that and some of the things I said there, and I thought about how, ad- how important that is for the same thing today because of the climate we're in today in our world. Uh, you know, right now, we look around us, and we recently have been hearing about a lot of things about corporate failures, right? I mean, in the fall, who, who was it? Lehman Brothers, then Washington Mutual, and I just go down a whole list of stuff, and recently it was Chrysler and GM, and, you know, you just go through all these, these corporate failures. And the thing you hear often on the, on the on the TV and on the internet and every place is people analyzing why these things failed. Why did, you know, why does these corporations who have been strong, many of them for many, many years, why did they fail? And one of the things that's been interesting, and always, this always happens when something fails, is basically the leader is is blamed uh, for failure and sometimes the leader deserves blame. There's been a huge number, the most CEOs have been, have resigned or have been um, let go. Uh, in the last six months than in the history of probably the history of the whole United States uh, that's happened through all these corporate failures. And, and basically what happened, uh, many people believe there was the wrong people in the wrong positions and the wrong motives. And so that was one of the reasons for corporate failures. Now, in regard to that, as, be, as big and as bad as those failures have been, uh, there, what has been brewing for years in the family is even a great, greater failure. A failure that is, that is more catastrophic and has more long-reaching um, impact and 
possible impact on our world and on our families than, than anything that's going on right now economically. And what I'm talking about is, is kind of like this. Here's the drill. A couple gets married. They, uh, they crank out a couple of kids. And, th- <laughs> and, then, and then what happens uh, when the kids come, uh, something happens. The, the woman resigns from her position that the Bible says is to be the primary earthly relationship role, which is to be a wife. And she becomes a mother. Nothing wrong with that, but the Bible says clearly that the, the wife is a primary relationship. We'll talk about that more. And she puts the kids in the corner office, in the CEO position. Now, she doesn't literally do that, but she doesn't in many ways because what happens is, is the kids become the center focus of the family. And then what's so often, uh, it's, it's like she marries her children. They become the primary focus. And then the man steps back from being a husband, which is his number one position, according to Scripture, and he leaves his corner office and chases a career, and he marries his career. And one of the greatest marital miscalculations that I see in our world today is the reorganization of the family, a family org chart, the organizational chart, according to, not according to Scripture, but according to, but according to the culture. And what is amazing and, and unbelievable to me and to many people around as they look at it in the world and what the problems are in a family is that we put our children so often in this CEO, this chief executive officer role in the family. We, we don't think we do that, but we really do by our actions where they become their central focus for everything. Now, our kids, now folks, I got two kids. One's 26, one's 20. They're hugely important. But I want to talk to you today about why, what I believe is really what God says is the best thing we can do for our kids. If we really, really, I mean, I believe all of us, anybody here, everybody here would agree that you want the best for your kids. If you want the best for your kids, raise your hand. If you have kids and you haven't raised your hand, it means you're either asleep or you need counseling. Because the issue is all of us as parents want the best for our kids. Is that, I, I just take that as a given. But so often the problem is like, you know, during the week, any of you guys, now women, you may watch this too, but I doubt it. Uh, any of you guys watch ESPN? Just admit it, okay? Yeah, it's cool. And every day they have this thing, they have the, the plays of the day. Plays of the day. You ever seen that? Plays of the day. And they pick out these ten random things that happen. It might be in basketball, it might be in football, it might be, you know, whatever. And they show them the plays of the day and they rank them from ten to one. Now, how do they decide who, which one's number ten, which is number one? Somebody just decides. You know, some guy, ESPN, a bunch of guys get together and go, oh, that was cool, let's just put that as number one. That's kind of how they do it. Now, I don't always agree with what they do. Because sometimes I've seen number five and six I thought was a lot cooler than number one. But that's just an opinion. And so often in our world we've allowed opinions about parenting and about family structure instead of knowing what, what really needs to be, be there. But let me tell you something. God is very clear in regard to the family org chart about what needs to be number one, number two, number three. It's very clear in Scripture. And I want to tell you up front, the Scripture tells us that the children are not to be in the CEO position. They have a prominent position, but it's not CEO. It's not leadership. Remember the first week I talked about in the series, I said, the purpose of parenting, I believe, the goal of parenting from a Christian perspective is this, is, that is, is allowing our children, is taking our children from dependence upon us when they're a little baby to being dependent upon God. 
And through that process, they learned dependence, independence, and then dependence again. They learned from being in, dependent upon us, independent where they make decisions, and then learning to be dependent upon God. That is our goal, is to take our children through that process. But part of the problem, when kids, when kids are the CEOs, they run the family, the problem with that is that they don't learn that. And we see so many uh, kids that really don't turn out the way they should because of that. Now, what happens and when this happens, when this, these kids take the center position, is not a gradual thing. I believe it happens the moment that the... Shelly, does this still happen? Does, does PD, the OBGYN still slap babies on the bottom? No. It, did it ever happen? I don't know. I, my two kids... The reason I asked Shelly, she's a doctor. And, uh, and, and I was going like... I'm going like... Uh, I'm going like... Uh, you know, they didn't do it with our two kids. So I guess, I don't know, I thought our kids were weird, you know, every time on TV, you know, wah, wah, you know, and that's the way it goes. But it doesn't, anyway, when the baby is born, whether they slap them on the bottom or whether they just take them out, you know, and clean them up and do all the stuff they do, you know, whatever that is, that is when the transference of power happens and when things go from, from a husband being his primary role of husband to being a father and, and, and the primary role of a, of a wife being a mother. Now, there's, there, those are important roles, but sometimes we get them backwards. We get, them, we get the order messed up. And when that happens... Uh, rarely do they step back into husband and wife roles again. I had an interesting conversation with a couple after the last service, and they were sharing with me how they, they appreciate what I had to say, but they were say, saying that one of the problems they've seen is that the amazing thing for them, and this is a couple that has young kids, they said, I understand that the number two time, besides the early first five years of marriage, is, is the highest time for divorce. But you know what the number two time is for divorce, the highest time? At about 25 years into the marriage. You know why? All of a sudden, the kids are gone, and, there's n- and the kids have been the central focus of the parent's life, and there's nothing to do. They don't know each other. And that, that's, that's a sad thing, and that's one of the reasons we have to understand that it's not just about what's happening now with our kids, but it's what's happening down the road that, that it's just makes this huge impact in the life of our kids. There's this marital drift. You know, if, it seems like that when the kids are born so often what happens in our world today is that kids become the central focus. They, they, they acquire the, the CEO's chair, and they run the family in some ways. I mean, I've known three-year-olds that run families. You ever seen that? I was in Walmart the other day. I'm in Walmart a lot because it's every other check's from Walmart, okay? But I was in Walmart the other day, and it was this three-year-old going down the aisle, with their parent, I'm not, I don't, didn't know them, thank goodness. And the kid went, I want that! Instead of doing what they should have done and taking leadership of the situation and saying, no, you're not going to have that, that's not the way we deal with stuff, they kept yelling, and guess what? The parent decided to negotiate. They had lost all leadership in that, in that situation. And in negotiating, what they did, they finally, guess what they did? Gave in. The kid got what they wanted. A three-year-old was running the family. They were in the CEO chair in the family. And if it can happen to three-year-olds, they only get better at it as they get, get older because they understand that whole thing. And what has happened so often is when there's this, these roles of kids becoming the central focus in a marriage, there's marital drift. The wife, if she wants to connect with the husband, she has to negotiate around his work. And the husband wants to relate to his wife, he has to negotiate around the kids. And you throw in fatigue and resentment and no romance and an attractive co-worker or neighbor, and you guess what happens? 50% divorce rate in America are above in what's going on. 
And I think a lot has to do with stemming back to this whole thing of having our priorities, our order of priorities unaligned according to God's plan. This whole thing about kids becoming the center focus of families was not always true. If you look at history, it began to happen after World War II. It, I'm not blaming one person, but one person had a huge emphasis as Dr. Benjamin Spock. Not live long and prosper Spock, but, uh, but you know, the other Spock. He, in 1946, he wrote a book. He never knew the book was going to be such a great seller that, that it was going to sell over, uh, I think, 50 million copies of the book about the, the, you know, common sense raising of kids and whatever. But it was a very permissive book in regard to this, basically saying, and it started off, the premise was good. It said, you know, all, every kid's an individual. That's true. My, my, our two kids came out, and they were individuals. From the moment they came out of the womb, they were individuals. They weren't blank slates. They were individuals. I knew it. Their personalities were different. It was formed right away, and they developed things. But the, so they, that was fine. But the issue with this is that the Dr. Spock and this whole permissive uh, parenting movement said, you know, parents should crawl into the children's playpens and, and, and um, reason with their toddlers. Not literally, but figuratively, they should do this. We began to, you know, just, you know, let's reason together. Well, I want to tell you something. I've not known too many three-year-olds that are reasonable. Because they're not mature enough to be reasonable yet. And so often what happened is, is that began the process, the downfall, where the kids you know, became the center focus. The kids started calling the shots and running the family business. And the net effect was that is what we see today. Last week I took a survey into services, both services that you were here, and I asked, what are some things if you could say what you would love your kids to, some values you'd like your kids to grow up with? You know what the number one value that most people said they'd like to have their kids grow up with? Remember if you're here? Number one, respect. Both services, exactly the same, number one. Respect. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes in our world today, we don't see a lot of kids that have respect because they, you know, if they can run, a three-year-old can run a family, well, I have respect for a parent. Well, I have respect for anybody. And so we see the results of that in our world today. Now, this morning, what I'm going to talk about is what I would believe, in, and I'm going to talk, you know, not that she wants to hear this, but my daughter, she will listen now. Believe it or not, folks, you'd have hope. If you have teenagers, they do listen to you eventually again. When, they're, when you think you're the dumbest person in the world when they're 16, when they're 20 or 21 or 22, they begin to think you're smart again. It's just amazing how that happens. I mean, you change overnight. But anyway, that's what happened so far with our, uh, with our daughter. Our son hadn't gotten there yet. But um, he's not here, by the way, so I can talk about him all I want. Um, but the thing is, is that I want to talk about today about, you know, what is the most important thing we can do with our kids. I believe the best thing you can do with your, uh, as a parent for your kids, the best thing you can do is to make sure you have your priorities and your organizational chart in the family in order according to God's plan. And what I mean by this is God gives us in his word the priorities of relationships and how they to be. If you have your Bibles this morning, take and turn over into the New Testament into Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to look at some scripture just very briefly this morning. And then I'm going to get some application of this to talk about this whole thing of, uh, of, of what this is the structure. What is the hierarchy? What is the priorities in a family? You know, I don't, I'm not like, I don't believe that God has not left it up to us like ESPN to choose the top 10 and kind of argue about them. He's given them to us. God designed the family. He designed, he designed the whole structure of the family. And he tells us exactly about the order of priorities. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, the very first verse, he says this. He says, the first order of priority is our relationship with God. In Ephesians 5, when it says, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. And then a little bit further over in, in chapter 5 and verse 21, when he begins the process of talking about the family specifically there, he says this about priorities. He says, before you do anything else, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says to us, the order of priority is this. If you really want to do what's best for your kids, if you want to really do what's best for your family, number one, focus on your relationship with God before you do anything else. God is our number one priority. You knew I was going to say that. You're in church, right? But that's what the Bible says. If you really, really, and and you all said earlier you want the best for your kids. It's about having the best relationship with God, number one. Focus on your relationship with God. Secondly, he says, after that relationship, he says this in verse, uh, in verse 25. He says we need to focus on the rela- our relationship with our spouse because he says in verse 25 of verse chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And there for the next few verses, he talks about the husband-wife relationship. He says, after you choose and after you focus on, if you really want what's best for the family, the organizational chart, number one, God, number two, your spouse, your spouse, number two. And then in chapter six, the verse, uh, very first part of chapter six, he, uh, he talks about, finally gets around to children, okay? You know, finally gets around to children, okay? He says, and, uh, he says then we focus on our relationship with our kids, Ephesians 6, 1, children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. <laughs> we don't like that one, but that's just the way the, what the Bible says. Oh, and we got a blank screen. Okay, but that's all right. It's, it is in there. If you've got a Bible, you can look at it, okay? Okay, so it's, this, is the, this is God's organizational chart. Thank you. It's back there. Now we, there we go. It keeps jumping today for some reason. We're tr- they're trying to fix it up there, so just ignore the screen. If they get it fixed, great. If not, just ignore it. Okay. Um, God's organizational chart. God first, spouse second, kids third. So this whole idea of making kids the central focus of our family is not according to God's plan. Now, it's not about putting kids down. It's about making sure that we do what's best for our kids. What's best for our kids. And it's not giving them a Ferrari. Okay? As much as you guys would like to have one. Or whatever your favorite car is. My mind was, a, I told you this before, mine, if I'd have got the favorite car when I was 16, it would have been a Shelby G, GT. Okay? You probably don't even know what that is. Coolest muscle car I ever built. Okay? According to my opinion. But the thing is, is that that's not the best thing. The best thing is making sure that our relationships are in the right order. That we don't put our kids um, at first in our relationship. The Bible narrows down the relationship between a husband and a wife even further. For it says, it says this in Genesis 2.24, it says, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You've probably heard that verse before. Probably in a wedding ceremony. Because it's the whole thing of making that primary, the primary earthly relationship that we're to have as husbands and wives is with our spouse, number one. In that order. We can't do everything equal. God says this is the priority. You do this first, this second, this third. They're all important. They're all essential, but this is the order we need to do it in. Now, this is a shocker for a lot of parents. And I've already told you one of the goals of parenting is to help our kids move from dependence upon us to dependence upon God. But here, let me give you another goal. 
Another goal of parenting is to simply teach and train your children to trust God and to leave. Let me prove it by Scripture. Okay, it is in Scripture, okay? Let me give you a couple of verses, one totally out of context and one totally in context, okay? The first one, Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up, in a, child, train up a child in the way he should go. Okay? Any of you seen the movie Failure, Failure to Launch? Remember a few years ago? What was the guy's name? Matthew McConaughey and Sarah Jessica Parker. I remembered Sarah Jessica last service, and I couldn't remember Matthew's name. And somebody told me, I said, I said, I will. This is the way it is. Guys, you know, anyway. Um, if you saw that movie, it was, a, it was a movie about a 35-year-old guy, Matthew McConaughey, who still lived at home. And the reason he still lived at home was why? Anybody remember who saw the movie? Because, he, man, he had no reason to leave. He had a cool room. He, could, he had no rent. He had no food. His mom did all his laundry for him at 35 years old. Let me tell you, folks, that is, that is dysfunctional. That's dysfunctional. That is not our goal. Our goal is not to raise dependent kids upon us. Our role is to help children who are totally dependent upon us get to the place where they become independent, and then they learn to be dependent upon God. That's the process. And, and remember that verse we just gave a while ago, Genesis 2.24? It says in the first part, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, not hang around, leave. Now they may come back briefly, but hopefully they'll leave. That is a goal of parenting because we want to raise healthy kids who learn how to live life fully. It's unhealthy to be totally dependent upon somebody else, especially your parents when you're 30 years old. We want to, we want to raise kids. And so because of that, we have to, if we're going to do that, we have to allow, we have to have the org chart right. We have to have God first, spouse second, uh, kids third. And the reason for that is because they learn so many things uh, about life from just ob- observation of what, what's going on. For instance, I know this may sound harsh for many of us, but what we need to do, and I believe in many families, using corporate terminology is we need to, uh, we need to instigate a hostile takeover. We need to take over leadership of the family because remember when we talked about a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, we talked about that goal being the goal of moving kids from dependence upon us to independence and to to dependence upon God. We said that the the way that we do that is by training and leading. So often the the thing that happens, that three-year-old at Walmart was leading the family. She was. And the parent needs to be leading. And what that parent was teaching that child was that you get what you want if you scream loud enough. And that just not, it's not a good life skill. I mean, you go to work and try that. See how that works at CAT. You know, I don't get what I want. I'm just going to yell. Now, you'll get fired in about five minutes. But the thing we have to do that. So, in regard to that, let me give you four quick things that we're going to talk about. Uh, that'll help us to understand what that means. If we're going to, you know, do it God's way, number one, we have to demote our children. We need to demote our children. We need to demote them. We need to tell them to clean out the corner office. Jim Collins, anybody ever heard Jim Collins? He wrote a lot of business books. Anybody ever read the book Good to Great? Anybody ever read that book, Good to Great? If you haven't read it and you're in business, you need to read it. Great book. Good to Great's a basic book, and basically it says that Jim Collins looked at, at companies who were good and companies that were great, he would consider by most people. 
And what he said in there, and he found this to be true, and it was real simple, he said this. He said that the great companies tend to have, he called this the right people on the bus. And then he said the, right, the people, and also great companies had the right people in the right seats on the bus. Families in America, if you have a mom, a dad, and kids, you have the right people on the bus. But the issue is, so often, if the kid is in charge, they're in, the, the wrong people are in the wrong seats. So that's an issue. And it's our choice. You can do it. We can do it God's way or we can do it our way. You know, go ahead and give the kids, you know, the leather chair in the, in the office and give them the perks and the bonuses, and they'll never move out, and they'll be dysfunctional. You know, kids pick up at an amazingly young age that they're running the show. And, and children need nurturing, but they don't need too much attention because too much attention can smother them and stifle them. So demote your children. Now, when I say that, it means also we need to demote our children to promote our spouse because our spouse needs to be promoted. Now, in regard to do that, what we need to do to enable us to do that, we need to set their agenda. That's number two. That's the second thing we need to do is to set their, set their agenda. Let me give you an example of that, bedtime. <clears throat> this is a very concrete example. I don't know about how you handle bed at your house, but I believe if we're going to be leaders in our family, we need to do what's best for our kids, Right? Who knows what's best for them according to bedtime? Your kids or you? If you're an adult. That is not a hard question. Uh, hopefully you do as an adult, okay? It wasn't a hard question. I'm not asking hard questions this morning. But the issue is, is that that's not a hard question. Now the issue is, is that if, if parents have got to lead, and bedtime, you put them to bed when you are ready, not when they are ready. Interesting survey that was done recently, just, just a few years ago. Time Magazine uh, for Kids. There's actually a Time Magazine for Kids. Kind of cool. And, and they did a survey of 7, and tw- seven to 12-year-olds, and 60% of all kids 7 to 12 said they felt tired during the day, and 15% fell asleep at school. 15% of all kids through osmosis. I guess they get their textbook laid here and go, you know, and that's what they do. I don't know if that's, uh, you know, really productive as far as learning, but it's not. But the reason for that, guess what? They're not getting enough sleep. So we had a rule at our house when our kids were young. I don't remember exactly the times, Vicki. She could tell you exactly, but I couldn't. Um, but usually I remember when our kids were young, when they were kindergarten age and whatever, we knew they needed so much sleep. Usually 8 o'clock was the absolute latest they went to bed pretty much when they were kindergartners. And we just started stretching a little bit as they got older and older. And even in high school, they had bedtimes. Because we knew that they, we didn't want them going to school and, and, and being tired. We took leadership in that. We, we set their agendas. And another reason we do that, because if you want to demote your kids and promote, uh, set, and set, uh, you want to promote your wife and your spouse or your husband, you have to have some special time to connect with your spouse. One of the things we cannot do in our house, and one of the things that's important for us, is to find time, at, we found this growing up with our kids, is that we needed some special time with our kids in the evenings. Now, that doesn't mean going to our bedroom, turning on the TV, and watching it together. Doesn't work. It means that we have a TV in our bedroom. I cannot tell you the last time it was turned on. 
But the issue we have to do is we have to connect. And, and if we don't, if our kids run the rule the roost and they constantly make the agendas and you never have any rules for them to give them some guidelines to help them to be what they need to be, get the rest they need and whatever they need to do, guess what? Not only does it have a problem with your child, but it has a problem with building the relationship or promoting your spouse. And so we have to understand that. Another thing in regard to that as well, now this is something last service a couple of people talked to me about, uh, is if you, really, if you really want to set their agenda, don't let your kids sleep with you. <gasps> How do you say that? Well, at special times when they're sick, fine. Yeah, but other than that, the bedroom is a place of intimacy and connection. I had a pediatrician. Our pediatrician told us when our, when our son was young, and he wanted to come in at two and three years old, he wanted to come into our room and sleep with us. He would do it. After we went to sleep, we'd find ourselves wake up and the next morning, here's Keith with his feet on me and his head on his mom, you know? He would do that. And we're going like, this is not working too well. And he said to me this, he said, it's not going to harm your child to let them know, do this, take a, get, a, get, a, get a chain latch, you know, the ones you put on chain, put it on your door. Do not lock the bottom latch. Let them, they can open it up, see through the door, see that you're there. And if they say something, you say, we're, we're here, you're fine, go back to bed. Well, you said, well, they might cry. Guess what? They'll get over it. They really will. Keith got over it. He's not scarred for life either. I don't believe. And the thing we have to understand is the, the bed, it taught my child, I taught our son, that the, the bedroom is a place for mom and dad to have some alone time. It's important. Once again, the number, if parents that constantly allow their kids to set the agenda, to rule, take the rules, when they get to a certain place and when their kids finally leave home, they don't even know each other anymore because they've had no time to connect. Demote your kids, promote your spouse, set their agenda. Number three, the third thing we need to do if we're going to do this is limit ECAs. ECAs, what's ECAs? Well, ECAs are extracurricular activities. Okay? Limit, I didn't say eliminate, I said limit ECAs. Let me ask you this question again. For those of us that are Christ followers... It is giving our children an opportunity to receive Christ, to grow and to have, fully, uh, have Jesus fully form their life. Would you say that is the primary thing of a Christ follower? To allow our children to have time this process, and this process of getting to know who God is. And to fully form their life. And that God's plans for their life and God's structure for their life and God's direction for their life will be things that will help them to, to grow and to be who God wants them to be. Now, I believe that it's good to get kids involved in ECAs, extracurricular activities. But we need to limit that because the problem is, is we have kids doing too many things in our world today. I've talked about this before. Our solution over the years was simply this. Our solution was our kids were involved in church. We didn't involve in church. And then one extracurricular activity per season. They had to go into it. They could do it the whole season. Then it over with. They could choose something else if they wanted to. But the issue was we didn't have them going 20 things because we realized we could not have a functional family. I could not have time with my wife. I could not have time with my kids in, in nurturing them and doing stuff with them, as we talked about other weeks, dating, taking our kids out on, on special times and doing things that's one-on-one. We couldn't do those if, we, if our schedule was totally tied up. So we need to limit those things. The key to ECAs is balance, and our solution was just to limit how much we did. The last thing we need to do if we're going to do it God's way and, and, and have the priorities is God first, our spouse second, 
and our children third, which I believe is clearly God's plan for our, our lives, is we need to nurture priority relationships. Nurture priority relationships. Um, I don't know about you, those of you who are in business, how do you treat your main clients, your primary clients? You ignore them, right? Does that work? You know, if you've got some primary client you really want to do something with and they're really important, what do you do? You wine and dine them, right? You spend time with them. Makes sense. Who are our primary clients, using business terminology, who is our primary uh, priorities in regard to what God says in regard to family? He says, number one, God. We need to nurture, number one, our relationship with God. We're starting a series next week where we're going to talk about how to begin to do that. We, we did a series uh, last year called 21 Days with God where we talked about getting into God's Word and journaling. This time we're doing 21 Days with God. We're going to do this pretty much every year for three weeks, and we're going to talk about how to learn to listen to God. Because in our world today, the problem so often is not, is not, that, is not that God is not talking, is that we're just not listening. I know that in my own life, this week has been chaotic. In my listening time, my quiet time, my time in solitude, my time, you know, and and, and just doing stuff where I listen to God, read God's word and listen to what it has to say to me, has been very limited. And when we fill up our schedule so often, we simply do not have time to nurture that relationship with God. Number one is a nurture relationship with God. Number two is we need to date our mate. You need to date our mate. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it a thousand times until you do it. It is so important for us to do that. Our, my goal, and it's, it's actually easier now because our kids are older and we don't have to sit around and go like, well, who's going to take care of the kids? They take care of themselves. You know, 20 years old, I'm expecting to take care of them. But, uh, you know, so we, we date your mate. But even when our kids were young, we had a plan. And I believe it's important to nurture that relationship along the way because that's the best. You know, what kids will learn from that is that mom and dad really care for each other. They, really learn, they see that model in front of them in regard to the relationship. And so our goal is to do that. You know, I've had people a lot of times with young kids saying, they'll say to me, well, you know, Pastor, I'd love to do that. My child is a baby. and You know, if I leave, it may me cry. And I'll think for about a minute before I say something. And then I'll go, well, you know, they'll get over it. Our kids cried too when we left him. I remember Keith pulling him off my leg when he went to daycare. I mean, he attached himself. He cried. The, the worker said, he'll be fine, just leave. I left. I called back 10 minutes later. How's he doing? Oh, he's playing. He's having a good time. Happened about 20 times in a row, and then he finally, he finally got over it. I really believe that it's important for us, and I believe Scripture tells us that our, that our spouse needs to be a priority. We need to date our mate. We need to do that from day one when kids come into the world. We do it before the kids come. And so often we just forget about it later on. And if we really want to know what's best for our, for our, for our, uh, for our kids, we need to have a great relationship with, our, with their mom and dad. So, how about it? If you were to look at your family organizational chart, who is in charge, and in what is a priority order, what would you say it is? Is God, number one, central? Is your spouse, number two? 
Is your kids number three? They're all equally, you know, hugely important. We can't leave any of them out of the family structure. But God says we cannot reverse them. And if we do, it will cause long-term damage not only to our kids but to our marriage. And God wants us to have healthy, great relationships. So the best thing you can do for your kids is have a great relationship with God and have a great relationship with your spouse. That's as simple as it gets. We've talked about all these things for the last few weeks, and I would challenge you to go home and just ask yourself those questions about what is it, if people were to look, if I was to look at my activity schedule, if I was to look at how we do things, not what I think, but how we do things, how would it look like in my family? Is my kids, the kids rule? Are they in the corner office? Are they the CEO? Or am I, are we as parents giving leadership? And husbands, are you spending time dating your spouse? And wives, are you giving time up with your kids so that you can spend time with your spouse? Which ultimately will be the best thing in the world you can do for your kids. That's God's organizational plan. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us. We thank you that uh, you give us in your word some clarity in regard to this whole area of priorities. And this is not an easy subject, but at the same time, God, it's, it's, it's crystal clear in your word. You say we're to love you and make you our number one priority. We're to, we're to love our spouse if we're married, and, and we're to love them and make them the, the, the earthly priority as far as any persons upon this earth. And then we're to love our kids with all of our heart. And we have to have a balance in those things, and we have to prioritize these things, and we have to make sure that we're not leaving out any of these things in our life. Because all of them, unless they're ordered according to your plan, God, will will cause uh, harm in our families. It'll cause harm to us personally, harm to our spouse, and harm to our kids. Help us, God, this morning to examine our lives and ask ourselves the question, you know, am I doing things according to God's plan? According, according to God's organizational chart? Or am I allowing culture to just to entrap me in this, in this thing that is out there saying, we have to do it all, we have to allow our kids do it all. And, and, you know, and that's just not healthy, you can't do it all. We know that. We have to pick and choose, that's part of the maturity process. And for our kids, we have to help them pick and choose, and we have to sometimes pick and choose for them. So help us, God, to be consistent loving, disciplined parents that first of all love you, God, secondly love our spouse, and then with our whole heart love our kids and do what's best for them. Help us, God, to take the leadership role in our families as parents so that our kids can be healthy, mature adults who someday choose you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.